Hey there, you're listening to the Erratic Control Podcast. This is Ed Townend. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Uh, this is the first podcast I've done for a while, I think since October. So I kind of had quite a long break because I didn't have enough podcasts recorded. I had a lot of work on and then taking those things into consideration, trying to fit in new interviews and editing and work and like, yeah, just wasn't working out so kind of had to take a break i've recorded a few since and now i've got about a month's worth of podcasts and hopefully i can do a few more within the next month here's one already um this podcast was recorded with ed clemas who is from the echo on the always and false hope for the savage as well as being in a few bands in the past this was actually recorded on the 24th of september which is unthinkably long ago so um, i'm sorry it took so long to get out so kind of also take into account there's some kind of time discrepancies within this podcast we talked about a whole lot of things from the whole history of ed's music to kind of what influenced him uh why he is in two different bands uh what bands he used to be in uh what he's doing in the future etc etc kind of the normal fare you get in one of these podcasts yeah i hope you enjoy it and thanks for joining me again in 2018 Oh, and as an additional thing, um, because Ed didn't really record a session with me, well, he didn't record a session with me, um, because him being a drummer and being kind of part of a band that is very not really suited to acoustic stuff and just just a whole host of reasons why it wouldn't have worked, um, to kind of get some music into this podcast, because it is essentially a music podcast, what I've done is drop some clips in like I did with uh, the Mike Dennis podcast, which I did... That was the third podcast I did. And so you'll hear some clips of, you know, music we're referencing and throughout. So you can kind of, you know, put two and two together and work out what, what we're playing. Um, I might put a track list up. That might be a good idea. Uh, yeah, so I'll do that as well. Uh, that'll be in the description and you can kind of see what we've been, what I played in, in the podcast. Hopefully all the clips I wanted to use in the podcast are going to work out i'll upload it to soundcloud to test it out and see if i get any copyright strikes so that'll be fun uh otherwise here's my interview with ed clamas i was a little bit annoyed last night i went to go see some owens and i was like i messaged ollie and i was just like ollie can you just put me on cheap list man and he was just like i'll just get your guesses and i was like nah man like just put me on cheap but like cheap list is fine because it's yeah. cheaper than usual but i'm still paying some money yeah. towards it and he was like yeah cool and he still put me on guest list and i was just like <laughs> fuck's sake ollie i know it's like especially when it's like <laughs> shows put on by people you know yeah it's like you don't want to because i know how difficult it is to yeah, put on a show, on show like, yeah and like i don't even put wrong. on shows that are financially threatening to also yeah. like and i'm still stressed out about mm. it like yeah literally the only time i'll take guest lists is if if i'm working um and even then i feel bad about it yeah it's interesting with you because the first band i saw you in was when elephants attack and i think that you were that was it you were on before my band in the garage in swansea at pillar pala festival in 2013. Really? Who are you? Who are you in? Uh, it's a band called Raphaelites. We were on right after you, I think. Um, and yeah, and I was like, oh man, that's really cool. Like, 
I really like that kind of the the bass kind of thing yeah, and being yeah. in one band. And then it seemed like after that, every other band, every, did, every fuck, everyone started done doing it. that. Yeah, and it was like yeah, because like the next band I saw that did that was Exit International, yeah. and they kind of pined. They, well, yeah, but then they, they you know, fucking they, yeah, they blew the socks off everyone yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but you know, it started with bands like Death from Above, which yeah. I'm seeing in February in March now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so excited about that. Pl- um, yeah, the premier. Uh, at the drive-in yeah. I bought tickets to go see Royal Blood just to see at the drive-in and then they turns out they fucking play I mean show. I'll buy that ticket off <laughs> yeah. you because I was, I was really pissed off I didn't get that ticket yeah. but then again it's like would I rather go see at the drive-in in CIA or in the Birmingham O2 yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> and the yeah. headline show as well yeah. like, I'll, I'll, I'll be there as well but yeah like that kind of that kind of duo thing you played a show Friday yes yeah, yeah. and that was in in club in yeah, club it was our first show in four years yeah because I think the last time I tried, I tried to book you for Oxjam. Yeah, and then Chio broke his legs. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> That's the first show he played since he broke his legs. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Was that kind of just down to you being in other bands or was it? No, he went traveling, got uh, married, went traveling and uh, and was playing in a band called the Dirty, Dirty Truth. D- Dirty Truth? The Dirty Truth, yeah. Uh, from London and did that for ages and... Yeah, now it's just mm. he just came came back from travelling for like three weeks, four weeks. He's going yeah. back to India in a few weeks' time, and this show came up, and we were just like, "Fuck it, let's just play a quick show." And how how long did it take to kind of get back into those songs after you hadn't played we them had for one four rehearsal. years? Yeah, <laughs> we had one rehearsal the week before, <laughs> and we still threw in a new cover. Yeah, wow, really? <laughs> God, yeah, which was territorial pissings, just to kind of like. You know, because I loved Exit International's version yeah. of that. And I was like, fuck, I'd love to do a version of that. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck it, let's just do it for this show. It's our last show ever, probably. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm even more gutted I missed it now. <laughs> uh, we'll probably fucking do something at some yeah, point. You, know, you never know. Never yeah. say never. Yeah. But then that that band was a band I saw you in before I knew of Echo and the Always. Yeah. But we did you start that band before you joined? Well, I don't know what. The yeah. So um, I started off initially in the Carmarthen music scene, which was um, with a band called The Cigars. Um, we did like half covers, half originals, like Radius Machine covers, and like, I think we did a brand new cover at one point. Like it was, it was like pretty all over the place, but like mainly concentrated on originals and yeah, that was really really cool. Released like a little short album and did it all off her own back, and then that's where I met Chewit because he was like uh, Chewit, which is Sean in One Elephant's Attack. He, we kind of like had a thing, like we just worked together really really well, mm-hmm. um, and then built off that, and we realised that after after the cigars kind of broke up. We could do other stuff in the meantime, so we started another band in college. We weren't in college together, but I met a few people in college, and we started a band called The Infamous. Um, they did really, really well. We toured with a band called Heaven's Basement for a little while, mm. um, and a few other big name uh, LA Guns. We toured with um, a band called Van Res as well from um, California, um, and I was, that was still with it. And then after that fizzled out. We were just like, well, we're just bored at home now, not doing anything. And then we were going to like do this, like we listened to the Dead Weather album, I think, and we wanted, oh. really wanted to do like a really 
dirty bluesy sort of band. Yeah. Um, so originally started off with him like just playing a guitar and we drumming, and we were gonna get a bass player in and yeah. stuff, and then, and then he started putting his guitar through a bass amp, and then he started putting his a bass through a guitar amp, and that worked way better. Yeah, and that's that's basically how it kind of got made. So like the first four songs we ever wrote were like really really super bluesy, mm. dead weather style, Jack White esque sort of stuff that eventually then developed more into kind of like um what is that metal awesome band called uh i should be really into them um uh, does it offend you yeah oh yeah, yeah really that band. Wow. Yeah. so i started listening to that and i was like wow this is sick um i want to do something like this now but i was kind of still into the bluesy stuff and so then we just made it one thing and then that's basically what I think we sound like is like the dead weather and does it offend you yeah that's those are two very different branches very very different yeah, branches. yeah. Those, yeah I love yeah. both those bands to pieces yeah. like definitely like the two best live bands I've ever seen are does it offend you yeah really yeah because yeah. they're just like and I was so gutted when does it offend you were like yeah we're not doing many shows anymore yeah, and dead yeah, weather haven't exactly. done any shows for like years now yeah. and it's like what's it's just tragic. It's musical trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those, those are two really good influences. Like strong influences. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I just love the like the kind of driving force that doesn't offend you. Yeah, had, and they were really like you know, not very big and very underground. Yeah, um, and that was really cool. And there's lots of kind of like adrenaline sort of music, and it was like really like pumping. Yeah. And then we both really got into Invaders Must Die by the Prodigy. That album. Invaders Must Die. We really got into that, yeah. and we started going even more, sort of that. like yeah, 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 bigger, and then it just eventually developed into into what my life and attack were. Um, played quite a few shows and did quite a lot with that band, and yeah, then then it just fizzled out. And yeah. yeah, I think we jumped ahead a bit because like so, like I ask two questions that start, two questions at the end, and cool. so like the first question is kind of the very early beginnings yeah. of music, uh, and that's. Uh, What's your first kind of musical memory, like your first memory associated with music? I used to listen to a lot of music um, with my dad. Um, my dad always used to have records playing in the in the house. Um, it was always you know, The Doors, Led Zeppelin, um, The Eagles, Free, those sort of bands. And I used to like fall asleep on his lap and stuff, listening to records, and like that's that was the initial you know interest. Then I got super, super jealous because my dad brought my brother a drum kit. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, I want to play drums. Like, and I wasn't allowed to, to play on my brother's drum kit. <laughs> so I used to just like sit there and watch my brother practice. And I wanted to play so bad. And I was never, never kind of like pushed to be a musician in my family. It was hmm. always, always the emphasis was on my brother at that point. Um, because he was doing extremely well. He was like going through Battle of the Bands and stuff and had a, a great guitarist that I used to work with called Owen Shires. Um, he he did a band called Jump Ship that were based in Bath, I think, and they got pretty successful. They were awesome, kind of trip hop sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so watching my brother play drums, I got pretty jealous. I started practicing the drums when none of my family were in the house because I wasn't allowed to really play them. <laughs> wow. So I just started playing myself like yeah. sneakily, and then like I went to school and I started 
playing a lot of drums and stuff in school. Um, and like my dad and mother and brothers didn't really know I played music pretty much. Mm. And then I was just like, oh, I've, and then I booked a show in a local hall. Um, and I was like, uh, uh, do you want to come to my gig? I've got a gig with my band. And they were like, you, you don't play any musical <laughs> instruments, Ed. So like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, I've got a gig on. We're, you know, we're going to mm. play. Um, so they all came to that and I was actually all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they were really surprised by that, especially my dad. And, and then that's when they were just like, oh, okay, so you play as well. So then they started pushing the both of us. My brother stopped playing. Mm. I kept on playing. And yeah, that's pretty much how I started off, really. That's cool. Um, and then kind of in relation to that kind of early period, hmm. uh, the second question I ask is, do you remember the first record you either bought or kind of chose to have? So, um, yeah, uh, Feeder Buck Rogers was the first that's, ever that's a classic. single. Yeah. Uh, first album, I think, was, I think it was The Used, Taste of Ink, maybe? Or it could have been In Me. Remember In Me? Yeah. Remember that band? I was really into like Ruben, In Me, Hellas for Heroes, mm. Biffy Clyro, early day yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, I, that was like my scene. I was like, what, like 13, 14 then. That's when I really started getting into like alternative music. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I th- Feeder Buck Rogers was like the first one. That's Yeah, yeah Feeder's like one of those bands that kind of, they existed before that single. Yeah. But then that blew them up. That blew them up. Yeah. And then yeah. they, I don't know, it's kind of pretty, it's pretty, band. yeah, it's the great, great, I like, I love Insomnia by Vida. Yeah. It's a wicked song. And then they kind of like, yeah, it was really kind of, it's kind of a horrible story with Vida though, isn't it? But then, you know, they're still going, so I'm sure it's, it's not, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not that. Yeah. It's like, so you grew up in Carmarthen? Yeah, pretty much. Like a, a little village called Talgareg next to Tlandersil. Like literally, like, 20, 30 people in the village. Um, oh, really? That's yeah. more? Yeah. Wow. And we lived kind of like on top of a valley. So whenever I used to play drums and stuff, it used to just carry across the whole oh village. Oh, my God. And some people loved it. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is so cool. Like yeah. music being played in this little village. But then, of course, there was a lot of people that wasn't really into it and did get a, you know, a fair amount of bad looks most of the time <laughs> when I used to walk the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of like small village mentality. And then it's interesting because I've been talking to people recently about, you know, the idea of in, in South Wales, especially like um, the difference between like the, the bigger cities. Because I've lived in Cardiff all my life. So kind of like I see Cardiff as not the biggest place in the world. Yeah. Whereas like I think some people who grew up in smaller towns in the valleys and stuff saw Cardiff as their kind of the centre. But I think being in West Wales, Cardiff is so far away. Hmm. that you have a different perspective on it yeah yeah growing up in a small town is it's kind of like it's so typical like that where all origin stories kind of start from really in it to a sense and like moving to the big city yeah and, and like playing music and stuff but i think it really helped me it kept me modest it kept kept me modest and yeah it kept me on my toes and i know that some people i learned from that that some people just don't like music and don't like live music and you know, like the issues that we've had with Mumbai Street and things like that, with complaints and all that stuff. It's I know where that mentality is coming from, and I know that some people don't like music, mm. some people do, and 
but it's it's that it's like it's just a, having a different mentality because like some people don't enjoy going to see original bands, some people don't enjoy going to see covers bands, some people yeah. don't enjoy going to see live music, and you kind of got to put yourself in that headspace and work alongside that. Yeah, even though it seems so alien to people like us who like breathe music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you got to kind of put that into perspective and understand that you know not the majority of people. Well, majority of people do like music, but not the majority of people are that invested in it. Yeah, in yeah, are. exactly. Yeah, and so you got to yeah, but it's at the same time it's 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 such a it's an industry now. Yeah, it's it's a business. It's yeah, exactly. It's, it's a business, and it million pound business. Yeah, like, well, yeah, and billion pound. Business. Some people for some people it's their bread and butter. Yeah, like, yeah. and if they lose that, they lose their livelihood. Yeah. It's got to, but you got to have got to look at it from both sides hmm. um so you kind of talked about how you uh kind of found that band at Carmarthen but like when was the jump to to here or was it a jump somewhere else uh, this, first? yeah to I it all started from college and then from college and after doing a bit of touring and that yeah. sort of thing I got like a real kind of like I really want to do this and mm. and I moved to Cardiff for music basically I I moved here about 10 years ago, something like that. Um, and that's when the initial sort of, oh, I'm going to try and find a band thing happened. Yeah. Um, didn't really do very well. Ended up still kind of going back to West Wales with my band called Supergene. And that's that was all based in West Wales. So I was traveling, traveling from Cardiff to West Wales mm. every single well twice a week. I used to have to get up at four in the morning just God. to get back there just for band practice. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of kind of sacrifices, a lot of, of a lot of you know sleepless nights and hard work. Um, it paid off in the end because that band got a fair amount of success. Mm. Um, released an album, did incredibly well with the album managed to play like the CIA which was like huge for me yeah. like I I mean that was that's the biggest venue I've ever played you yeah. know well yeah yeah I think it's still the biggest venue I've ever played um and to get to that level of success you know by being in a city even though it was kind of you know based in Carmarthen which is a smaller yeah. smaller city um it still really helped having like a community around me that was really, really into music like Cardiff mm. um, and having places like Music Box and even venues around here to help out with like certain things if I have. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was kind of like, that was pretty, that was a pretty big deal. Like I, I literally moved here to join that band to go on tour with the Joy Formidable. Mm. Um, the old drummer, um, I think moved to, I think his name was Harry. He's in a band called uh, Strange News from Another Star with Jimmy Watkins. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah. Really, really nice fella. I really, really liked him. Um, like him, he's not dead. Uh, he <laughs> just moved, he moved to Thailand, I think. But uh, yeah, I joined that band uh, with one of my best mates, Dan Williams, um, who's a sound engineer for Neck Deep now. Yeah. So I came back to Cardiff, toured with Joy Formidable, had an amazing time there. Um, that band didn't work out, unfortunately, just due to differences mm. in, within the band. Um, which is pretty gutting, actually. Cause yeah, I, I always wondered what happened to didn't you? Like, yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a complicated one, really. They're still going now. Um, Tom, the the singer, was 
he's, he was really, really passionate about his yeah. music and we was really kept it close to his heart. Um, and unfortunately, that meant it didn't give the rest of the band a lot of creative control. Um, so it ended up we were we jumped off jumped jumped off the tour with the Joy Formidable, really looking forward to getting into the studio and recording. However, the album had already been recorded by Tom himself. All oh, right. Um, so we didn't get an opportunity to play on that album. Yeah. Which is something that none of us wanted to happen. Um, so we decided at that point that this band wasn't going to work out if that was going to be how it was. I mean, I can see that as a, from that perspective because you know you, a lot of bands now like they are either are made of a collective or it's led by one person or maybe a couple of people and yeah, it's to you know it's, it's, that can be a real conflict of interest if you're not really into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't I don't blame him because no. I, after writing music in my own band now um i kind of understand where that kind of closeness to the music that you write comes from and you're it's like a baby like it's like everything mm-hmm. it's the ideas in your head and you want it to sound this certain way because you know it's yours and mm. i get that i understand that but you know unfortunately there was no leeway in it so i think that's why that group of people didn't work uh, for Genuo but uh, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure they're doing fairly well now they, yeah. well, they're still carrying on it's, it's interesting that you kind of you relate that from going in a, in a for being in a band that where you were the kind of a secondary member mm. so to speak to being that kind of front person and writing all the music like mm. with with False Hopes of Savage is that music all pre-written did you pre-write it before you kind of formed that band yeah initially so the newest EP, we wrote that, we wrote that as a collective okay, great. Um, yeah. because I realized that I'm working with some incredible musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, so that's really helpful. Um, but the, the stuff before the first EP was, was, you know, 80, 90% written by myself throughout the years of, of being a drummer mm. in the background and, and being a secondary member of a band. Like, it's all my kind of my own creative outlet that, and I was doing that since I was kind of like, you know, 13, 14, some of the songs on there. One of the songs was a, a song called beginnings that was written on a piano for my GCSE, one of my performance pieces for yeah. GCSE. small amount of piano nothing too crazy so like it really does kind of go back really kind of deep into my my you know teenage years that band um and a lot of that music comes from that sort of time you know i mentioned that quite a lot before about how when you write music as a teenager it's very different to when you write it as an adult oh yeah yeah hugely yeah yeah, and you know that's not it's not always a bad thing it's not always a good thing Mm. but it's like it's interesting that you kind of you've written it from that young but then you're now kind of adding in that yeah do you, do you think you kind of reflect that writing now or do you think it's completely different yeah i think as a as a collective i still we we still kind of have our that original sound in there still because mm. it's still me and i still write my parts we're, we're all very very much kind of included in that band we all feel like we all do an equal amount of writing now mm. but obviously there's still like you know uh, me and alex and john especially we three of us we push the kind of writing 
together quite a lot. So you'll see a lot of the the old Fosso for the Savage sound in the newer stuff because it because it is you know still me there and yeah. it's still my style of writing. A lot of it's in drop D in the key of D in three four. That's generally <laughs> what you'll find with <laughs> all the stuff that I well, write. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. It, yeah. I mean, like listening to that stuff, it's kind of. I don't know, it's like trans it's transportative. I don't know if that's a word, but it's like mm. it it doesn't sound you can't place it. Whereas mm. a lot of music I think that comes from Cardiff and South Wales, you can it's almost like you can place it there. But with that it's, I go, Oh, what am I listening to? Like if it's like on shuffle, I go, Oh, what am I listening to? Oh, it's, oh, it's false from Savage because it's like it it sounds like a lot of stuff that isn't like influenced by the surroundings, which is really interesting when it's made up of a band of, you know, three different other bands yeah. or whatever yeah. it's like that that whole kind of I, I hate using the term super group but it is mm. kind of like, like that's oh it's you know Ed's from Ed and John from Echo and the Always and Ollie's from Samoans and Ray's from Cut Ribbons and Alex is from Alex uh, used to used to be in a band a few years ago but kind of dropped out of music yeah. for a while and this is his main project yeah because I was always thinking I was like oh wait I'm sure I've yeah. seen Alex in another band before yeah. but, um, he's really really good and like I, I, I don't I'm not even sure what where he used to what bands he used to play in or whether yeah. he did or not but it's like he was like kind of <laughs> it was a surprise because John was like oh yeah my mate's moving to Cardiff and mm. um, he's actually quite a guitarist and I was just like oh cool like you know I'm looking forward to meeting him and this was before I was thinking of even making Fossil for the Savage or yeah thing. He was going to help out with the Echo and the Always because we have we had so many tracks on the album that had like three guitars and stuff. On yeah, acoustic guitars. So we yeah. were going to, he was going to jump in with that. And then I remember I think I saw him. We decided to do like a quick little off chance rehearsal. That was really early for Soap for Savage. That was with Dan Williams playing bass, mm. uh, me, John, and Alex. Um, no drummer. Um, I was originally going to play drums for that band, but I decided not to. Yeah, I heard him and I was just like, Jesus Christ, this guy's actually extremely good (laughs) for someone who I've never really heard of. And and yeah, we've become very close friends since and I rate him very highly as a musician. It's kind of like mixing a band of all those kind of different things. But it's like, they're not, it's not like you're straying too far from, because there's elements of False Over the Savage and all those different bands anyway. So coming together does make sense. But kind of skipping ahead again, uh, so with the Echo and the Always, when did that kind of, when did you meet the members in that band and how did that? So they were in a band called Sleepy Panda Club. Um, I was in Super Gene. Um, we played a show together in Swansea, um, in a, in a bar called the Jaeger Bar. It was, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was a while ago. The, the, uh, <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing about Swansea is the their knack for turning every single place in Swansea into a music venue, which yeah. is like something to be kind of looked at in Cardiff, maybe. But you know, you, <laughs> you know, never know. Yeah, I think, kind of need them nowadays. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my god. Like, yeah, so you you kind of met in Swansea, which is yeah. Of, so through like kind of you know playing together as bands, and then I I helped out one show for Sleepy Panda Club in uh, a small little festival and kind of became good friends with John, uh, John and Angela. And then when when they fell out with their drummer, they needed a new drummer. And at that point, I, I left Super Gene and it just seemed like a really kind of natural progression into it. Um, I was quite busy with Danuo at the time, but I felt like... I felt like the Echo and the Always were moving slow enough for me to be, you know, involved in both bands. 
um, and still be able to commit my time to both of those mm-hmm. bands. Obviously, I was very lucky that I did stick with those guys because I'm still with them now. And, yeah. you know, we've done really, you know, I feel like we've done really well for ourselves. And um, So, yeah, that was the initial sort of thing, just meeting each other through playing bands. I think with the Echo and the Always, you know, you say you did really well. You've done really well. Like that first EP I really enjoyed and then the album mm-hmm. came out. I really, really enjoyed that. And being being a part of that group that's kind of, it's such a, I don't know, like it's, it's music that speaks to me quite a lot. Um, and... For it to kind of, it's hard to describe the, that music, which makes it so. That I think that's mm. why it's so good. I hadn't seen you guys play for quite a while. I think the last time I saw you guys play was in club downstairs, play, uh, supporting the drink, which was a, oh, was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And then so then the last time I saw you was here in Tap House yeah. um, or Tiny Rebel. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, and then like I was like, oh yeah, they're really good. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. like I for, like I kind of forgotten how good. Yeah. So like that that show was like really great, and it was kind of like a. a the comeback I guess and I was really really glad to have been able to put that on I know originally I, I booked False Hope for the Savage but I was kind of in a turn when you said oh no the acting always could do I was like in a way I was like yeah I kind of that, that's that's cooler for me yeah like, yeah, um, yeah and yeah and I think it like was a great way to end that night and you know those those two bands can can you can see them as two very different things which is also really good um I think with the acting always kind of it seemed like a band that was very like slow to start and then built up and built up and built up. And, but with false hope for the savage, that was a very, because that was made up of people. A lot of people knew that very quickly became something that was bookable instantly. Yeah. And, you know, and then kind of one of these hype bands mm. and like, it's, it's, it's interesting to notice the difference between that. Um, but the, the difference between those bands means that you can kind of, it's like a, almost like a yin and yang, because you're playing drums in one band and then mm. playing guitar in another band and you're kind of part of a band and then leading a band and it's like, well, I guess not so much anymore with False Hope Savage if you're all writing, but having those two bands must be quite, not. I don't know if it's even fun, but like freeing for you because you get to do two two different types of music at the same time and yeah. like have those options. It's It's, yeah, I've always liked to have, you know, some form of, release along with you know something that's consistent so like you know being in the echo and the always is amazing because we all write the music together and we're really really passionate about what we do and we all kind of always want to go in the same direction which is fantastic um but i kind of needed to to get my creative side out more Mm. so that's why i kind of started false hope for the savage at that time and it's a really, really nice balance between them both because I feel like I can I can kind of like release loads of energy and loads of passion with False Hope for the Savage, um, but then be able to kind of sit back with the Echo and the Always and be a lot more kind of like serious and like determined, and focused mm. and more professional. So there's a definite sort of yin and yang to it. And I like being able to go like, oh, I'm going to play a show with False Hope for the Savage, go mental for like yeah. half an hour and like B 
be as weird as I physically can. Yeah. Um, and play, you know, monstrous reverby riffs and then kind of step back and go, oh, cool. So I'm going to go back into Echo and always now where it's like a lot more kind of like precise and intricate and, yeah. uh, and melodic and emotive and like, yeah, yeah, it's a real interesting mix. I think that, yeah, I think that's, that sums it up quite well where Thought Savage could be quite chaotic and, and very forceful. Um, yeah, can be always it's very precise mm. and and but then kind of gets a message across, especially because mm. you know the you know the main difference between those two bands is the fact that one's got lyrics, one doesn't have yeah, lyrics. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, <laughs> as much as I can, you know, be like all oh, very uh, like chin stroking and watch like instrumental bands, like bands that have got lyrics, I relate to a lot more because I can kind of put myself in those songs. Yeah, the decision to kind of not have lyrics to a band is can can be quite freeing and quite restrictive at the same time because you've got to you can't hide behind words in a in a band like false hope for savage is that kind of something you've you've thought about or is it just not not an option with that band um it doesn't help that none of us can sing <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help yeah, i don't yeah, want to yeah. get a sixth member yeah um but no honestly i think i think the music does enough to me and to be able to like not have to not saying that like Laura is at all egotistical or anything <laughs> like that I would never she's amazing but in the sense of we can go to a show and the sound guy doesn't have to worry about like getting <laughs> the vocals past this loud abrupt stupidly heavy reverby band um, you know so that's it's extremely practical mm. but also it pushes you creatively because you have to be able to keep it interesting and engaging without using you know lyrics that people associate with because like as you said you're kind of more you kind of like you get more of a response from a band of lyric because you kind of you get yourself into it um and you can kind of you know find yourself in those lyrics whereas i think it takes a lot more creativity to make someone find something in the music that doesn't have a lyrical attachment and that's what i really like about fossil for the savage it's challenging to make things interesting like the songs are like three times as long yeah and <laughs> they have because you have to you have to kind of grab people's attention with like with those kind of things but you you can't like get a message across so quickly yeah it's good with lyrics exactly yeah 100 yeah, percent. Um, you have to kind of like take them on this like mental journey yeah. for eight minutes rather than <laughs> a like you know I sing about my life for three minutes. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, that, that is a good way of summing it up. I think when you when you're talking about like bands that are, you know, so loud and stuff and that can kind of overwhelm uh vocals, it reminds me of um Mammoth Weed Wizard Bastard, who are a band that I kind of really got into this year, especially I've seen at Focus Wales and the, one of the craziest shows I've ever seen. Um but they've got lyrics but you kind of don't have to think about them because yeah, because yeah, they're just like buried within that kind of doom sound. see a show with, with False Over the Savage Mouth which was just yeah, that would together. be pretty intense just like, yeah. I was just like ah oh, yeah that's like <laughs> destroy myself like uh, that would be such a good pairing but like I kind of saw you guys both on that same weekend and um, it was interesting those two different venues because you were playing in uh, Central Station, Central Station yeah. and they were playing in this upstairs oh, Rewind yeah, yeah and it yeah, was yeah. so like 
but seeing like I don't think you guys are similar but like sonically it was interesting because kind of seeing a band like you play in a big space like that is effective but seeing it in a smaller space is almost more interesting but I've, I've kind of had the pleasure of doing sound for you guys before which is you know Ollie just said oh just just make sure the kick drum's coming through that's all, all you need to do I was like no I'm going to do a bit more than that and um, <laughs> it's kind of yeah having that the the balancing the the different elements of the band is really interesting because you don't have to yeah like you say you don't have to sound people don't have to worry about the vocals being on top of everything else and then you can literally like play with which yeah which things coming through when like as as is t- kind of typical but that kind of you know there's I uh, the last podcast I recorded with this band called Aronson mm. who are also an instrumental band we kind of talked about this this notion of post rock which is such a kind of word that is so like it's almost as reviled as the word emo yeah 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 which is getting worse (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that label it's like i i don't dislike either of those words but you to kind of go to band and say oh you're a post-rock band is is almost like heresy like you can't Mm. really do that um but i don't i don't really kind of put false hope for the savage in the same categories as i would mogwai or explosions of sky or something because it doesn't seem to really fit in that, and so what? What kind of things influence that music? Because you know, obviously, you said you started writing as a teenager. Mm. So what? What kind of thing was? I, I really, I didn't get into like that sort of like a post rock genre until I was like seventeen, eighteen. Mm. So this was before I started. Uh, after I started writing music, um, luckily it just kind of fitted in with that kind of genre. But I listened to loads of like uh, bands like Tool when mm. I was growing up um, and the kind of more progressive sort of stuff um, and like Opeth uh, was a band that I was really really into yeah. as well that I, I listened to a lot of heavy sort of dark sort of stuff Slayer were a huge kind of influence on me as a person as well I love that band um, so I think it kind of stemmed from there I really liked writing cool riffs yeah. <laughs> generally um, but then as I kind of grew older I I really, the, the first band that really made me go, oh, wow, I really want to do something like this was Sigur Rós. Mm. Um, I found a love for them. Um, my ex-girlfriend introduced me to them. Um, I wasn't really into them because they were kind of really like, you know, like flowery and yeah. pretty. And <laughs> yeah. Like I was just like, oh, yeah, I mean to say it. I'm not not Sigur Rós, like, you know. But then I went to go see them in Latitude Festival and they played their 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 finisher, which is Popular Guide, I think it's called. It's the last song on the Brackets album. Um, but that song is like a very, very typical build post-rock song mm. that like finishes with this incredible explosion of like this wall of sound. And I've never heard, I never heard any of the songs that sound like that from them. Um, and just kind of listening to their kind of four or five minute almost intro to this huge wall of sound section at the end of their song was mm. just like mind blowing for me. And I was like, like dumbfounded by how they could create this huge sound scape across this whole festival. And everybody was just like stood still in awe of it. So that was a, a super like real eye opener for me. And that's when I started adjusting the songs that I'd written before to that genre type. Okay. 
and then I've seen Sigourse a few times now and that's still one of my favourite songs after I explored them for quite a while I realised that their prettier sort of stuff um, has a lot of dark elements some of their other material that they have throughout their albums there's some really really kind of kind of like ear catching sort of darkness amongst all this kind of prettiness and that's mm. what really engaged me and that's kind of why I kind of like the darker side of, of post-rock I like to keep it really really nice and you know pretty at some stages but yeah. i really like to kind of go super dark and put everything in drop d and yeah <laughs> and yeah get that power through yeah it's a, I, I think i think that's a good word that sums up fossil savage is is power because it's kind of that that built that building and the the momentum through those songs is kind of and the fact that you can you can end them in such a way that's like satisfying i think with a lot of post-rock songs you can kind of um get to that that build and come back and get to the build and, and again and then it kind of song ends and you're like oh okay but with with those songs on the on the EPs like I know you number them and you, and you name them kind of quite vaguely so they don't have you don't really relate them to a, a feeling like a lot of uh, some other you know bands of the same ilk do but with that they feel like com- quite complete songs on their mm. own you don't feel like there's a movement throughout the whole record which is something that I think um, is really good about that like that because you don't have to so you don't have to play a set the same set every time you do a yeah. show because those songs can kind of make, like move about because they're like they're complete pieces in themselves mm-hmm. which i think is really difficult to do as that kind of instrumental band so i kind of i, I admire that part about mm. about the band what do you think the main difference is between um being a drummer and then being a guitarist, like which you started being a drummer, wanted to be a drummer uh, first. Yeah, yeah. And so when when did you kind of want to pick up a guitar and do stuff with that? Um, I bought myself an acoustic guitar um, when I was about about fifteen, I think, fifteen, sixteen. That's when I first started writing music on. Like everything mm. was all acoustic guitar. I yeah. Once I got into drums, I I just really started getting into music. I and then I started. I started playing a bit of cello in school. I started playing a bit of piano. Mm. Started playing a bit of guitar. Um, so that's interesting. That's what, so you use a occasionally use a bow during the songs. That, yeah, that yeah. Kind of come from that. Yeah. So I use a cello bow in some of the songs. Um, it's obviously heavily influenced by bands like Silverus yeah. um, to kind of get that droney sound. Um, but I've kind of my kind of my setup as uh, you know my pedal setup and my sound that I have. It's unique to myself because I you know, do things that they wouldn't usually do. Mm. I kind of make it my own. Um, but it all stemmed from that. I've, I've kind of, I've always wanted to play cello. I've, I love cello. Cello is like, for me, the best instrument in the whole entire world because it, you, it, you can just get so much out of it. It can mm. be, you know, super, you know, happy and, and chirpy, but it, but it can also be the saddest instrument in the whole entire world. And I love it about, I love, that's why, I, you know, that's why I love the cello. So being able to kind of like try and replicate that with the electric guitar is really interesting. Like we, initially, me, myself and Ollie were kind of a little bit like, this is really gimmicky. <laughs> and like, we were both like, is, is this cool? Or is this like pretty shit? Like, are mm. we just trying to be like a typical post-rock band with a gimmick? But, it's, like, it's like getting the Ebo out, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly. Like... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But the more we kind of, the more I used it, the more it, it really sounded good. And it mm. really, like, it, it was in keeping with our sound. And 
eventually we just couldn't do without it, you know? Mm. And I think we, we written, recently wrote a song, um, which I play the bow entirely on throughout the whole thing. And it's the, it's the main part of the whole song. Um, it's like a nine minute drone, basically. It's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that kind of, the whole kind of bow thing does stem from the initial love for the cello and classical instruments before perhaps the kind of cliches of post-rock. about cliches is that they're true someone told me once yeah and yeah. they work and that's that's what grabs your attention or that's what's good and 
so kind of putting an Ebo or a literal bow into a post-rock song kind of... Uh, I keep... I keep hesitating whenever I say post-rock, but if, you, if that's what you want to call it, that's well, fine. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an easy term yeah, to, to it's, use. It's an easy term, but like, yeah. it's just like, what does that even mean? Is it, yeah, what, what is post-rock? <laughs> yeah, um, but that, that kind of music does, does kind of throw up all those typical kind of things, but you, it doesn't necessarily make that a bad thing that you, you will opt for those things, especially if you're coming at it from a different perspective. I think that's kind of, the fact that you've been in a band where you're playing drums and then you moved over to something playing guitar, I think that's kind of, that's really striking. What what was the decision? So you said earlier you decided you didn't want to play drums in also for Savage. Why, why did that, why was that a decision? You yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I kind of felt like I needed to be the front man, not the, not the front man, but like, you know, a, a member of, the band that's in the front. Mm. <laughs> I don't like the term frontman yeah. really with this band because there isn't a frontman. Yeah, well, that's that's what you I was know, about to say. Yeah, we, yeah. we all have, you know, like John, for example, does a lot more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> and he is, you know, without John, that band wouldn't be anything. Alex writ like pretty much three of the songs on the four, the newest four track mm. EP. Like he's, you know, just as much of a frontman that I would ever be. Ray is a phenomenal drummer, and I, you know, cast him equally to all of us. Same with Ollie as well. Mm. Couldn't do it without any of them, so I don't particularly like the term frontman anyway. But anyway, um, the reason why I wanted to be there was because I felt like I felt like I was at that point the creative drive for that band, mm. and I'm pretty I'm pretty kind of bossy anyway when it comes <laughs> to songwriting. Like even when I'm on the drums, I'm like I'm a like. I'm kind of like a structure Nazi. Like I'm like really into like really into structure and I, I want songs to go a certain way. And I, and I, I have that, I'm lucky enough to have that foresight cause I've worked with so many bands mm. to, to be able to kind of know where songs should go to be sonically correct. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's such a good point because you've been in so many different bands and the, the whole idea of a song being sonically correct is kind of like, if you go, oh, it doesn't have to, but it's like, no, it does. It, it like, does. It does. Though, Otherwise, yeah. like people, you know, the only the only music that isn't sonically correct is music that won't. That's like really kind of left field and yeah. kind of deconstructs cool. music. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm it's into not, that. Not, but, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like it kind of really grates on me, and then like I can't can't listen to it. But it's like yeah. that's you know, there's there's some kind of grooves in our head that yeah. kind of accepts th- certain thing where certain things sound. You know other other musical things that don't don't work as well, but yeah, yeah, to kind of be able to be a driving force to go, oh no, this is sonically correct because you've got that experience. I think is really kind of yeah. And whether you do that from the front or behind the drum kit is interesting. Yeah, so like uh, the reason why I stepped out from the back of the drum kit was that, and also I've always kind of wanted to play with Ray um, since because mm. we used to play together. To when I spoke about um, Super Gene. Uh, Super Panda Club used to play together well usually the the band that used to kind of like um, start off the shows were always the Adelines so we used to play as a three a good three or four times mm. in Swansea so I met Ray through the through the Adelines um, and then met their kind of always through Super Panda Club so we were all kind of like it's like a you know I've just kind of gone through all of the members of all the bands <laughs> that I like at the moment but I've always kind of wanted to be in a band with them because I like how intricate Ray can be, but also very kind of powerful and, mm. and, and big. And all the bands I've seen him in, I always thought like, oh, I, 
you could you could definitely whack those a bit harder, yeah. and it would sound incredible. And I knew it, I knew it had it in him. And then when, so when I when I made the decision to go right, I think I'm gonna play guitar because I want to be more kind of you know creative with this band. Mm. He was kind of the only choice for me, really. So yeah, I mean, being a drummer and then starting a band and having another drummer in the band kind of it's that it's that whole Dave Grohl effect kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah who's going to be able to match you. And the fact that you found someone to do that is like... For sure, cool. definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, I mean, it's not even like matching. It's just, I really like Ray's style. Oh, yeah, definitely. You no, know, I mean, like, someone who but, could, yeah. yeah, feel the shoes like... That For you, sure, you, yeah. You kind of go, you don't want to turn around and go, oh, I could do that better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Because I played on the first EP. I played um, everything except for the, the kind of the lead parts because John and Alex did uh, mm. most of them. Um but I played the bass, I played the drums and the main guitar parts. Um, so that was kind of like, it was. I think it was a lot of pressure for Ray to kind of jump in on like a, a pre-created band that, you know, that I, and I know that Ray, you know, thinks I'm a really, really good drummer as well. And we've spoke about this before and we both have a lot of respect for each other as drummers. And I think that's that was probably quite daunting for him to jump into a band, but I think he's done incredibly well to kind mm-hmm. of, I mean, I'm I'm quite picky as well. Like, I think we're all a bit picky in that band, but he doesn't really. He, he holds his own for sure. The the idea of like being a front person but being behind drum kit. You, you mentioned the dead weather earlier, and kind of having someone like Jack White behind a drum kit and not be the lead is kind of like that that interesting perspective. But you didn't think of that it in that perspective, I guess. Like, I kind of get what you mean. Like thinking about it now, like. Seeing seeing Jack White go from being a really really famous guitarist to yeah. like actually being incredibly good at drums yeah. and like really like we like, started off playing drums that's that's yeah crazy. I know it's, yeah. it's mad isn't it you yeah. know um, but seeing him do that with the Dead Weather was thinking about it now that I I couldn't believe it when I heard him play drums because he's incredible mm. and and of course that influenced me in uh, when elephants attack so looking back on it now perhaps that was a kind of you know, something that was in the back of my mind, like I want to kind of show people that I can do something else, you know, yeah, because it's in cool. the in the reverse way, but in the yeah, reverse way, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, no, so the thing I was, was going to say is, it's interesting how quickly you could jump from writing the first EP completely on your own to then writing with the, the entire band, and like that's that kind of shows not only like a um, a really good progression in the band, but kind of a maturity to be able to step back and go. I'm going to let everyone else deal with this. Not not deal with it even, but like be a part of my creative thing, kind of transforming what originally I saw as a solo project into a fully fledged band. Mm. And to, like, was that a difficult process or was that completely uh, to be natural? Complete, to be completely honest, I really struggled letting go. Yeah, that's what I was, like, I was thinking. Like, Yeah, I I think like it, it was tough and... Um, I wouldn't say we had arguments. It wasn't so much an argument, but it was kind of like, we need to have, the guys were like, we need to be all equal in this band or mm. it's not going to work. So it was their request? <laughs> See, I'm asking kind really difficult of, questions Yeah, now. no, that's good. Um, so it wasn't particularly a request. It was kind of like, if this band is going to work, mm. we should all be doing an equal amount. Because at that point, after that EP, because I paid for everything, and when like mm. money stuff gets in the in the way, yeah, and when you're trying to like like get somewhere as a small independent band, 
you know, you all got to put in your hard-earned cash and we all work and we all, you know, put in our wages just to kind of make the band work. And and then when we were having this discussion about kind of like what we're doing next and I had a whole plan in my head of what I wanted to do next and I was like, I'm going to write all these songs yeah. and, and I've got like six songs ready, guys. Let's do these songs. Um, it was like, it's kind of like, well, it's not fair for me to just be like, Mm. we're doing these songs and and the guys were like really really you know wanted to push the band as well and if I would have carried on and went you know no I want you know full creative yeah. responsibility for this band it would have it would have been really kind of like harsh because I've been through a similar thing with Danuo where that creative control oh, yeah. was taken That's away nice. from me and I was like distraught by that mm. I hated that that was the worst feeling in the world and to to be able to tell them that and go like, no, I'm writing the music for it. Like, it's it's bullshit. Like, I don't think... Even if someone drives to band practice and back, that's petrol money. That's, yeah. you know, that's... Even a small amount of money. It's still their time as well. Like, time, I think, personally, time is everything to me. Like, I value time more than anything. And for someone to take their personal time away from family, friends, social lives, work... Um, all of that to go into a, a rehearsal space or to go into a studio space or play a gig that's that to me is equal to any sort of monetary value if they're if they're willing to do that then they should be just of in control of the creative process as I am um, so that's basically what it came to and I think it was the best decision that we all made really was because, and then because the second EP is some of the some parts in that are, are incredible, and they were written by Alex, and that wouldn't have ever existed mm. if you know we didn't talk about that. Um, and it would have been a real shame to not ever have to be able to write those songs. Yeah, I I think I think that's a really good step forward, and it means you know it gives extra life to the band because you've got so much more now to work with rather yeah. than just you kind of. It's also taking a lot of pressure off you. I know, yeah, for sure. I, I know it can be a struggle to kind of let go of something that was your creative thing in the first place, but to then kind of accept the fact that it's a it's a full band now, you can kind of escape that. But what what? So you said you got six songs written, and then have those songs just disappeared? Uh, no, <laughs> they're still there. Yeah, <laughs> but it's some of those aspects of those songs are filtered into other songs that we've been writing. Um, so you know, and they're not completely thrown away. Um, we're planning on, you know, perhaps recording an album at the end of the year, mm. fingers crossed, depending on whether we can get some funding for it. Um, yeah. We have, we have a lot, we have, we have a lot of, lot of plans for the kind of future of, of that band. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's, that's an interesting thing about the Echo Warriors as well, because you did that EP and then, and then created an album and what, a lot of the time when I see a band of that statue creating an album, I'm like, oh, what's, why are you doing that? Especially kind of now. But I think with the Echo and the Always, kind of having a, an arsenal of songs like that and putting them all out at one time is so much more interesting than, you know, putting out a single at a time. Yeah. And the fact, and now, like, I think you did a couple of new songs in, in at Hub, and I was, yeah. like, really interested to hear how that's going. So, you know, um, kind of looking forward with the Echo and the Always to start with, what's kind of you you went away and wrote some stuff We're, yeah well yeah so we went to the cottage we go to a cottage mm. in Tanabutha like once a year 
and we just basically were under each other's skin for three or four days. Is that is that kind of full like there with the full band set up and everything? Yes, yeah. yeah. So we, there's a living room there, and we just clear out the whole living room and just set up all of our gear there. Um, Angela like writes a whole like menu for each day and like cooks for us all. Oh, amazing! Like it's like, <laughs> and then we like in the evening we'll play like you know board games and get pissed up and 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 like really kind of you know you know be involved with each other out you know personally and musically um so like waking up hungover having yeah. some breakfast and then just sitting behind a drum kit and then just playing for like a solid seven eight hours Great. it's it's really really it's a really cool process and we all enjoy that process a lot more than spending three hours in a sweaty yeah uh, rehearsal space and then having to drive an hour back home you know because sure, yeah. guys live in swansea we live in, in cardiff yeah so it's you know there's a fair distance between us so having that time together to be creative and kind of go through the motions um is really important i think to the band yeah so we did that last year and we've got another week-long visit to the cottage in october to finish off the record hopefully so that's another album yeah wow yeah, another yeah it's, I mean, to kind of come out with so many songs in, in one go, because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the kind of uh, the songs that are on the album, are, there's no songs on the EP on that album, is there? No, no. Yeah, so it's like it's writing a whole new batch of songs mm. and you're going to do the same thing again. And to do that as a collective as well is really, really impressive, but to kind of get that many songs written together, like, do those songs come from one person or do they actually, are they literally all written they're, together they're all written together yeah um i'd say yeah yeah i think every single one of them is written together i think we really work well as a mm. group doing that you must do because yeah, you know well, I, I, I know some bands that like take a month or two to write one song yeah. and it's like but to the fact that you can go away and like write that many songs yeah we average about like about three songs three to four songs each visit to the cottage and then we rehearse like every other week something like that the thing is with this band we like to kind of have our our spaces in between we like to take it slow but when we work we work hard yeah and we get stuff done um because we're in that zone um and it's an escape for all of us you know um oh definitely it can be so release like it, yeah. a release to kind of go yeah, out exactly. and be creative like that yeah. i mean i'm in a bunch of bands and i i you know manage a bar john's a history teacher Angela's like doing a PG, uh, sorry, PGC, no, a PhD. Yeah. Um, Laura is, Laura and Dean are both um, uh, drug and alcohol misuse um, helpers. And like we, we all live, lead very, very busy lives. Mm. Um, and to be able to go into a space, be creative, write a bunch of songs is a really nice outlet. And we really thrive on that, I think. And so you say end of October, you're going to try and finish that stuff up? And then kind of plans to release next year? Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed anyway. I mean, when when you kind of suggested the the Echo Noids playing and then going, I was like, oh, yeah, you haven't played in ages. Like, you've got more plans to do shows coming up or... Um, yeah, we got a we got a we got a show in Swansea Fringe Festival. We got we got no solid plans to play any shows. We kind of we kind of just want to take the time to do the album. Mm. Um, we love playing shows, but feel like this is more important at the moment. Yeah, I mean we okay. t- we took a we took a after the after the last record releasing the last record. It took a lot out of us financially, mentally, 
everything you know yeah. it's it's tough it's really tough to release an album um luckily you know we got we got funded very well and uh, by the arts council mm. um grants and um a small amount from the horizons funding i think we got a launch pad funding um so That's, that so, seems like to be the one of the only ways you can really make a record now yeah, well yeah to a point <laughs> i mean and also we you know, i mean we're still we're still you know it, we're not clear of that album mm. financially, but you know, we're still selling that album most weeks and it's still in circulation. And, you know, even just like listening back to that record now, and I still, I still listen to that record now. I love that record. Mm. I'm so proud of that record. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done as a musician was release that record. Cause it's, I, I think it's great. And if I, if I was to buy a record and it was that good, I'd be really chuffed for my purchase, personally. Yeah. I know it, oh yeah, it's me, and I'm I'm not trying to be big-headed, but listening back on it, it is something to be proud of, I feel. Um, and and we, we all put in so much hard work, like an incredible amount of hard work. Unfortunately, I don't feel like we perhaps taught it enough, um, mm. pushed it enough maybe, but we were so burnt out um, by the end of re- releasing that record that... I think we just kind of needed needed some time, mm. um, so that and that's you know that's how long it's taken. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's a different thing to kind of you know release a record and tour a record now because so much is built upon you know the the spaces between records that are released kind of by main, mainstream artists or like signed artists is such such a small gap, but, but like that it used to be like you have artists now releasing an album a year every year or every two years whereas it used to be every four or five years and it's like i think the kind of the idea to go out and tour a record isn't so needed and i think you can kind of if you've got that record to sell and you go and do shows it's it's still it's still as important you like you don't have to go out and uh, tour a record immediately anymore to get the sales up especially if you kind of it's like your side thing (laughs) yeah yeah for sure so i think you kind of like have that and to kind of but then also you know the fact that you're working towards a new record means that you're not just content to sit on that record and you want to make new things and that's that's great that's like that's that's what artists should do they shouldn't just sit on their laurels and kind of continue to do the same thing over and over the savage what's what's kind of i know you've done quite a few shows of that recently um is that kind of more of a live thing or is that kind of are you gonna work on a record as well yeah i think i think i think the plan is to is to put together something we're not quite sure what it is yet mm. but there's definitely something there 
Um, we're writing music at the moment. Me, John, and Alex are kind of are being quite heavily involved in the writing this time round. We're kind of working as a trio and just like trying to push out um, the bulk of the writing. Um, we've all got a big craving, especially Alex and I, to get something new out there, um, and John as well. Um, and I think we're not sure what it is yet, but there will be something along the way. I feel like it would be quite a big waste to kind of just stop doing it now. Yeah. Um, I I kind of initially was just like, I just want to release a couple of EPs. Yeah. And now I just wanted it to be an outlet for these songs that I'd written before. Yeah, I think especially, yeah, that, that you could have that perspective of it. it's kind of a sole venture, but the, now the fact that you're involving the whole band means it's kind of, it's... Yeah. It's got its life of its own. Now. Yeah, it's things have changed. Yeah. And the response that we've had, you know, since releasing that first EP has been absolutely incredible. To be able to, like, pop up out of nowhere, do an EP launch and sell, sell a you know, a 200-cap venue mm. is incredible. Like, yeah. I think. I, I was dumbfounded by how successful that EP launch was I mean, in Kulburubach. Like, like I said, I think it definitely comes from the fact that you're already in established bands, but to kind of and bringing that together works. But I think it also comes down to the music, really. I think if you if you listen to that music, you go, yeah, that's that's good music. It's not just like something thrown together. And um, but I think the difference between the Echo and the Always and uh, Falso Savage, especially in a, in terms of kind of releasing music, is that I don't think Falso Savage could release a single. No, <laughs> no, it's not that kind of. It's no. not that kind of thing. You can't really release a single as a as an instrumental band. I don't think that's ever a thing. Well, do you know what? I might change that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you could come up with a way of doing it. Maybe you could come up with like a twenty minute single or something. Like. <laughs> we 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 played with the, with the idea of like doing a music video and stuff for one of the tracks. Oh yeah, that's that's the thing because you haven't done any music videos. For no, that, so uh, we much. we were going to for the, the second EP. Um, we had a really cool idea about like a. Um, this like girl gang uh, wearing like plague doctor masks, like kidnapping misogynist, misogynistic men, that and and like kind of like uh, like torturing him and burying him alive, and that loads of cool shit like that. Uh, <laughs> but in the end, we were kind of just like financially yeah, viable. It's difficult, yeah. and like um, yeah, like it's the same thing. I think um, the idea of releasing. I think I was talking about this with Aronson as well. It's like with instrumental music, you can kind of so easily match up to something visual, but I don't think you need that with False Hope of I think that it kind of, it sits on its own and, you know, it would just be an added element rather than kind of like going hand in hand with a, with a visual thing. So, you know, I don't necessarily think, you know, I don't necessarily think, oh, this, is, this record's great and everything, but I wish they released a video for it. Yeah, like, yeah. It just doesn't really matter. And like, um, yeah, I think <laughs> so there's, the, uh, there's a video of you playing in club which I think is really, that's kind of quite an interesting thing to watch. But then again, it's like, is that so interesting for everyone or is it just Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, like, I think it's hard to watch these kind of like, these, you know, use the term again, post-rock bands. Yeah. Like, because it's not that interesting visually. Like, Unless you know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, a, it's a musician's thing. Like, if you're a musician, you're like really, like, I generally find like 80% of, people that like post-rock and math-rock are, are musicians. Yeah. Because they, you know, cause they know what it takes to create that, and it's interesting. I think, yeah, one of, one of the questions I asked when you, after the um, 
the Wrexham show, the Focus Wales one, was like, oh, what what time signature was that last time? <laughs> yeah, and you exactly, wouldn't get yeah. like you wouldn't just get casual music fans asking <laughs> no, that. Exactly, like, yeah. yeah, it's 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 funny, and it's like, yeah, I, I get that. Um, watching sound engineers like yeah, yeah, I would yeah. literally like watch the sound engineer mix and that's interesting to me yeah, like, no yeah, one else exactly. would find that interesting but if you're not into music and you engage with 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 bands like mine I think it's it's on a way way more kind of personal level because mm. I know people that are fans of of Fosso for Savages and um, and they they're not a musician at all and never really dabbled in it kind of into music a little bit but they they find it a lot more kind of ethereal and more mm-hmm. like um int- interesting but in a different way like emotionally yeah um than you know people like you and I would who are like in the scene and into music and play instruments ourselves mm-hmm. um there's there was a a lady who was in the EP launch that um they were speaking to my brother and she was saying she was saying something online sort of like I've I've never heard anything like this before. I f- I feel like uh, like like I'm having an out of body experience. Hmm. Like, and my brother was just like, "Yeah, I know it's mad, isn't it?" Like, and just hearing that is amazing. I think for like you know to, just to, to kind of have that impact on someone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So there is a there is a difference between obviously if you're a musician or not, and you you'd find things that you like in in all different kinds of bands. You know what I mean, but. But I think it's special when you kind of get into this kind of music. Like when I had that, you know, experience watching Sigur Rós and like getting that feeling of like, wow, like this is incredible. Like I want to do something like this. Like for other people to be getting that when I'm playing music is amazing, I think. That's why you do it. Yeah, yeah it's exactly why you do it. Yeah, yeah. So kind of round up uh, interviews by asking two final questions. Um, so the first one is, uh, what have you been listening to lately that you've been kind of really enjoying? It doesn't have to be anything new. It just can be something that you've kind of been listening to on, on yeah. a loop or kind of really, really kind of concentrating on recently. Yeah, okay. Um, I've been... Yeah, there's been quite a few, actually. I, I'll say this one, because I've been listening to it for, for for a good two years now and repeat pretty much every week. It's a band called We Lost the Sea. Um, they used to be like a... A very like big uh, shoegazy, um, screamy sort of band, mm. um, but their singer committed suicide, um, and then they, and then they stopped playing for a while. But then they released a record with no vocals, kind of like you know fitted into that sort of post rock sort of genre anyway. Mm-hmm. And they decided to release this um, album, um, and it's all based on tragic stories of of, of death, like. Um, like there's a song called "A Gallant Gentleman," who, which is about um, uh, one of the. I think there were. One of the, the the guy comes out of the tent and says, "I'll I'll uh, I'll be some time." Um, when he goes out the tent and then he dies and then he kind of sacrifices himself to save the rest of the team. I think it was like a. I think they were walking to to the North Pole. I think. I thought oh, it was like Shackleton. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Anyway, stories like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the Challenger uh, when um, astronauts went up, and yeah, yeah. blew up, and um, it's just really, really interesting themes of death. That's like quite hopeful and nice at the same time. So it's kind of like a tribute, to, a tribute to the you know their singer that died, mm. um, but also a really beautiful composed piece of music. That's an album 
and it almost feels like one song. What's the record called? Um, it's called Departure Songs. Ah. I just remembered now mm. as I as I was looking. Um, yeah, so yeah, we lost to see Departure Songs. kind of been on repeat for the last two years for me um it's great when an album can kind of stay with you for that long yeah and like i don't even like i don't even know like the song names on it yeah and i don't even i don't even like i couldn't i couldn't almost couldn't remember the album name like but i've been listening to the album for like two years straight so like that in itself is, is i think is pretty cool to be able to be so into the music but not even like mm really being into it <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean is it, when you say that when you kind of you don't know the names of the songs it's, it's like that with me when um, when I listen to instrumental tracks I have to kind of if I really really enjoy one I have kind of have to mark it down that I've enjoyed it because mm. like you don't remember the name of the yeah. song because it doesn't have lyrics in it it's like yeah, it's sure. like certain um, certain tracks off uh, the Nine Inch Nails album Ghosts mm-hmm. uh, with, with Trent Eisner he literally just n- numbered and named them like he didn't like he didn't put any names on them. He just called them the numbers. And so you kind of have to go, oh, that's the one I like by mm. like marking it down. And like, I think that's really interesting. Like, um, it's the same with false for savage songs, like having the numbers instead of like, instead of like really named and you don't have to, you don't then associate, uh, like a feeling or a, a thing about that. Like, I think if you put a name or like a lyric to something, you could kind of like really categorize it and mm. say what it's about. But if you just put a number on it, you can kind of, it's, it's sort of then open to interpretation. It's even, it's even more so than kind of having vague lyrics. You can yeah, kind of just like open that song to interpretation and it can kind of, your mood can kind of change with it and it like it affects certain people in different, different ways. Um, and then the final question I ask um, is when I changed recently uh, is it was, what's your favorite record of all time? But lo- no, nobody can answer that question. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's what do you think was the record that had the most influence on you either in your life or musically? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, really, really good question. It's it's a hard one. I think I'm going to say the one that's like always stuck with me is brand new Devil and God of Rage Inside of Me. That album is just like perfect, mm. I think. Um, I think it's in the canon of like those albums. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like Shape Punk to Come and uh, Relationship of Command. It's like, it's in those. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, that's, that that album was just like it just kind of came out of nowhere and it came out at the perfect time for me. There's other albums that have influenced me in mm. loads of other different ways, and you know perhaps not like the brand new album. It didn't probably 
inspire me very much musically mm. or anything like that, but it's always stuck with me. And I've always admired that album and admired the creativity that they put into that album. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes a long way. And I've always stuck by that album. I've always said that's probably probably one of one of my favorite albums of all time. Jesus Christ, that's a pretty face. Kind you'd find on someone that could save if they don't put me away. A little be a miracle. Do you believe you're missing out? That everything good is happening somewhere else, but with nobody in your bed, the night's hard to get through. And I I think with this question it's not like what's what's made you write like that I think it's more what what album kind of makes you go I love music like because yeah. you know there's there's albums that I if I ever wanted to write music or stuff I could never get to that kind of height like I think for me it's um Grace by Jeff Buckley and it's like I don't think anyone oh, yeah it's, yeah, right it's like mm. I don't think if if I practiced every single day for the rest of my life, like I don't think I could ever get to that <laughs> yeah, like musical sure. musical kind of point. So it's kind of like it's an album that doesn't have to necessarily influence your music, but it just influences you as a person. Good, good choice. And uh, yeah, thanks for kind of sitting down with me and, and having an interview. I think I've been kind of chasing to get an interview with you for a while. So no it's good, well, to, yeah. good to do it. Yeah. And thank you for the hot sauce. Oh, that's yeah, fine. No cool. problem. Looking forward to having that. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, yeah, and hopefully more music from you and gigs and stuff soon yeah yeah, yeah fingers crossed yeah. so thanks to Ed for doing that interview with me he kind of may have taken some time off of work to do so so thanks for that Ed he also was kind enough to keep a hot sauce behind for me uh, which I referenced at the end uh, you can check out Ed's hot sauces at Double D's hot sauce at Facebook uh, and they're great because I love the one I got from Ed uh, Chipotle and Pipes Beer very good so Music wise, you can catch the Echo and the Always this month at Free For All Festival. So it's a free show, so there's like no excuse not to go. Um, that's on the 20th of January at the Moon Club. And then you can catch them again in March uh, on the 8th of March at Goody Who. So yeah, two chances to see the Echo and the Always. False Hope for the Savage aren't doing any shows at the moment, but you can still get their EPs uh, online at their Bandcamp. And you can also get the Echo and the Always music. So yeah, check out Ed's music next week will be uh, Justin Evans, and Justin kind of works as a DJ, as a writer, and kind of an occasional promoter, and he's got a really interesting uh, story to kind of tell, and he's like really, really invested in music and passionate about music, and he also won Person of the Year last year at the Colour of Music Awards, so yeah, kind of quite an important person. So check that out next Wednesday, and thanks for listening to this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs>